courageous leadership with Virginia Prodan, training you to lead with courage. Hello, everyone. We are so happy you are here with us at our podcast that we have every single Wednesday and Saturday at 10 o'clock. We are so happy and our podcast exists so we can help you and train you to be a courageous leader, wherever God placed you. Many times you heard me that God used and trained me as a courageous leader and a ferocious communist dictator who killed Christians and put them in jail. I know most many of you read my memoir, Saving My Assassin. But our podcast also love to introduce you to amazing Christians, courageous leaders that can train us much more in what we can do now, wherever God places us to change us, to change our neighborhood, and to change America. And one of this amazing guest is the guest that we have today, Bishop Jackson, Sr. Before I, uh, I start to, to share with, with uh, our audience a little bit about you, Bishop Jackson, I want to just to thank you for coming to our podcast. It's an honor to be with you, Virginia. Thank you for inviting me. I consider myself to be an illustrious company. I'm not so sure I'm worthy, but but it's my honor to join you today. Oh, you are so humble. I want to tell uh, our audience, uh, your, your bio is so impressive. Everything that you have done so far, it's so absolutely amazing. You were born in Pennsylvania, so you were an American, not like me, adopted American. You joined the United States Marine Corps in 1970. And you graduated summa cum laude from uh, um, Phi Beta Kappa K from University of Massachusetts at Boston and from Harvard Law School in 1978. You were ordained as pastor in 1979 and consecrated as a bishop in 1998. You practiced law for 15 years in Boston and you were an adjunct professor at Northwest University and Strayer University. And you are the founder of the Cole, the Cole Church and in um, Virginia, the Stand, Stay True to America, Nation, America's Nation Destiny. You, you and your wife found the Chesapeake Martin Luther King Leadership Breakfast the William Jackson Youth Center, the Maximum Potential Christian Academy, a Christian school for students K-12. You are the host of Awakening, a national radio, uh, the host of uh, Wisdom Awakening. You are the author of three books, and one that is going to be published later this year. You have been on Fox News and uh, Newsmax, One America's News, CBN, World News, CISPEN, and many other 
television. You have been a candidate for U.S. Senate and the Republican nominee for Lieutenant Governor of Virginia. You and your wife, Theodora, have three children and you reside in Virginia. I am so impressed, and I know by the grace of God you accomplish all of this, and you can share with our audience how you started, what kind of obstacles you uh, you had in your mm-hmm. in your life, and how you accomplished them. And the reason I want you to do this is because a lots of people will look at you or will look at me and say, "Oh, I don't have what you have. Oh, I am not your name or something." God never gives gives us a blueprint. He gives us one step at a time. So I would love for you to take the stage and share with us how you started, how the Lord helped you to overcome the obstacles. What is in your plan for next? Amen. Well, Virginia, it's interesting that you say how, how you started because it's by the grace of God that we are what we are. And we do what we do. And I give to God all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Um, but I was born into a broken home. My mother and father were breaking up when I was born. And I was put in foster care almost immediately after I was born and shuttled around in foster care until I was 14 months old. Then I was placed in the home of foster parents who kept me until I was 10 years old. And by the time, Virginia, I was 10 years old, I was already a member of a gang. I was already committing petty crimes. I seldom went to school. I was failing out of fifth grade. And my aspiration was to be like the criminals in my neighborhood, that I wanted to be like the guys who had spent time in prison and were tough and were respected and were feared. And then at the age of 10, uh, my father, who I did know, uh, and who visited me in my foster home, even though he wasn't raising me, swept up one day, uh, virtually out of the blue, and said to me, do you still want to come live with me? Because I'd been saying to him every time I would see him, you know, well, Dad, why can't I live with you? Why can't I live with you? And he would say, uh, yeah, I understand, son. But he explained to me later, he felt like he could not, as a single parent, take care of a young child and work too. Uh, But he said to me, do you still want to come live with me? I said, yes. He took me to my foster home and announced to my foster parents that he was taking custody of me. And he didn't wait for the court. He didn't wait for social services. He took me to live with him that day. And I have to tell you, Virginia, that God used my father. At the time, he wasn't saved, but God used my father to completely change the trajectory of my life. Because after I went to live with him, I stopped being a part of a gang. I stopped hanging in the streets. I stopped committing petty crimes. I started studying and doing my homework. And the way I ended up in Harvard Law School was that I had a loving father who cared enough about me to discipline me and say, you will make something of yourself. And by the way, I would also add this. My father never told me that racism or anything else would stand in my way. He made clear what you make of yourself is up to you. And if you are determined to do something good with your life, nothing can stop you. And so that's really, you you ask, how did I get here? How did I get started? That's really how I got started. I went from being an F student in fifth grade to an A student in sixth grade. 
and my academic career was off and running. And I did well throughout my academic career, obviously graduated from college and then Harvard Law School, attended Harvard Divinity School. But I give the, the glory to God and I give credit also to my father who gave me guidance and direction and told me, don't ever come back to me with excuses. And that really is the foundation for whatever little I've accomplished in life. That is so important what you said, because um, the love of a father, that's what it's missing in many families today. And also the discipline. When we love someone and we know the potential that exists in our children, that we want to develop that potential. And discipline is a way to... um, lined up that person with a destiny. It's so interesting also that you said at that time your father was not Christian. God can use Christian and non-Christians in our lives in order to guide us and guide us on his path. And I want to say from your own example, and I hope that our audience no matter the circumstances that might be today, they will feel encouraged that God, if they allowed God in their lives, God will do amazing things. Thank you for you know, sending us. Amen. And you, you know, my father was not saved at that time, but, but God had really blessed him with a lot of, of wisdom uh, because I think back on the things that my father taught me even before he got saved. He did get saved, by the way, later in life. And he, in fact, his salvation was instrumental in my coming to Jesus Christ myself. And I'll tell that story in a moment. But my father always taught me that God was real, that God had to be respected, uh, that, that you are accountable to him. And it's kind of amazing that an unsaved person would say those things, but he did. And it's in part because the United States of America is a Judeo Christian nation. And even people who aren't explicitly committed to Jesus Christ throughout our history have always understood the truth of the Bible, the reality of God, that we are ultimately accountable to him. So my father instilled those things in me even before he was saved. And then, of course, um, if, if, if I may, I'll tell you, I was in law school and I wasn't saved, but my father had gotten saved a couple of years before. And I was working at a law firm in Philadelphia. We were living in Chester. And my, so I stayed that summer while I was working at this law firm. I stayed with my dad. And before I left, he said to me, you know what I'm doing? I said, what? He said, I'm reading the Bible from cover to cover. He said, and I am really getting so much out of it. Well, at, by that time, he had actually accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, was back in the church, and in fact, had answered the call to ministry. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. And on my way home, I thought, you know, as an intellectual the Bible is one of the great books that that any well-rounded intellectual ought to know something about. So, so I think when I get back, I'll read the Bible too, so that it. And here's what I was thinking, Virginia, so that when it comes up at polite cocktail parties, I can comment on it intelligently. And uh, little did I know the Holy Spirit had something very different in mind, because I began to read the Bible in September of 1976. And when I got into the middle of the Bible and began to read the Psalms and read about David, a man's man who yet had this tender heart toward God, I came under conviction. it, it, It grabbed me. I didn't understand what was going on then, but God was getting a hold of my heart. And on December 22nd, 1976, I woke up 
and God had invaded my room and he was there. And I walked in, I told my wife, I said, she was sweeping my son's room, Virginia. And I, I tapped her on the shoulder. I said, you know what? My wife said, what? Because remember, I was reading the Bible, but I wasn't going to church. I wasn't going to a prayer meeting. I wasn't taking any counseling. I was just reading the word of God. And I, I, I told my wife, I said, you know what? My wife said, what? I said, I think I'm saved. And my wife looked at me and was shocked. She said, what? I said, I don't know how to explain it, but God is working in my life. I said, I want to go to church with you on Sunday. My wife literally said, my wife said, no, wait a minute. Because she really thought I'd had a nervous breakdown. She thought that something's wrong. Harvard Law School's been, it's just too much for him. He, he's, he's, he woke up this morning talking about Jesus. He, she told my mother-in-law, I said, I don't know what we're going to do. But I went to church that Sunday, Virginia, and gave my life to Jesus Christ. And, and my life has never been the same. And I'll tell you, he's the best thing that ever happened to me. Absolutely. I, I agree with you because um, when, after I accepted Christ, my life was never the same and will never be the same. The, Amen. While these dreams that I had for my, my life were too small compared with what God is capable of doing. Yes. So please tell us uh, obstacles that you have and how God started to use you for his glory and be a courageous leader in your area, in your neighborhood, because you had accomplished so much. Well, you know, Virginia, I, I think, look, of course, the, 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 the real source of whatever strength the Christian has is Jesus Christ and his grace and his mercy and his, his love and his power in our lives. Um, and I say, God used my father, though, to instill in me certain values. And one of the things my father taught me that the Lord then confirmed in me is this absolute determination that, you know, if you're going to lead, first of all, in order to lead, you've got to be led. And anybody who can't be led, in my view, can't lead. And of course, the ultimate leader is Jesus Christ himself. And so once you allow him to lead you, you know, the word says in Proverbs chapter three, verses three through five, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will lead you or he will direct your paths. So I, I, I had that, that once I came to the Lord, whatever obstacles came, I always knew that they weren't just my obstacles, they were his too. And that he was the one who was going to allow me to burst through them, go around them, <laughs> climb over them, whatever it was in order to get to the will that God had for my life. But I give you one example of the, the, my father sort of instilling me the sense that when you make up your mind, you want to achieve something good in life, don't let others deter you. So when I was getting ready to apply to Harvard Law School, for example, I had liberal professors in college tell me not to do it, discourage me. They said, because Black people don't do well on the LSATs, um, the law school admissions test. You got a daughter, you said, in Harvard Law School. Is a daughter in Harvard Law School? I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I went to two law schools, once in Romania and okay, once in America. So, so you know what I'm talking about. And they were saying, Black people don't do well on the LSATs. Well, because of the way I was taught, I thought the moment they told me that, I just became that much more determined <laughs> that I was going to get into the law school I wanted because nobody's going to tell me I can't achieve something, I can't do something, particularly not because, oh, well, the culture is biased against you. 
And I think one of the things that happens in our culture so often, Virginia, is that people are classed with identity, politics, and then they're told that's your category, that's where you belong, you stay there. But you know, the Bible teaches me that God says he opens doors and no one can close them, that we're more than conquerors through him. And so I just I just determined that, okay, I don't care what it takes, I'm gonna study, I'm gonna practice those LSATs, I'm gonna go in there and nail them. And praise God, I did, got into every law school I applied to. And so that's one of the things that happens. People will put obstacles in your way and tell you you can't and give you reasons why you can't or you shouldn't. But, you know, I think it was Oral Roberts who famously says, when God tells you to plant here, he said, then dig a hole. <laughs> you know, No matter how hard the ground is, dig a hole. And so that's once I came to Jesus Christ, of course, it became that much more uh, of a commitment in me that nothing can stop me because I, I'm, I'm serving the Lord and whatever he has for me to do, all the devils in hell can't stop me from doing it. Having that kind of, of, of faith and determination is absolutely necessary to lead as a Christian. Amen. Amen to that. You are so true. And there is a difference between you have an attitude. And I grew up in the same kind of attitude, even though it was a socialist communist. But because of was my attitude was, I will come out of this and I will come out as a conqueror, as a victorious. And you have this attitude. But today, if you don't have this attitude that God is the one that has your life in your hands, don't let the culture, don't let the people to put, like you said, in a category, you will remain a victim. And because you are always a conqueror in your own eyes and in your perspective, you accomplish so much. So tell us how you started, how you started this, the entire thing. I mean, you have done so much for young people, for uh, students, for women and men, for black people, for white people, for everyone, because you believe that every life was created by God. You know, when God saved me, when Jesus came into my life and saved me, Within a few years, early in my walk with the Lord, he impressed two great truths on me that have marked my ministry and really catapulted me into the various things I do. The first thing God impressed upon me was that America was his gift to me. Now, I, I'm a descendant of slaves, Virginia, and I'm, I'm not ashamed of that. That's, that's part of world history. It's part of American history. But God didn't tell me I should hate this country, that I should resent this country. God impressed upon me that this nation is the greatest place of freedom in the earth. And you as someone who came from Romania, you, you know that there are so many places in the world where the freedom Americans enjoy is just completely lacking. I mean, nothing even close to it. And it, it began to change my attitude about my love for my country and my commitment to it. The Marine Corps instilled in me a, a patriotism of duty, but God put in me a patriotism of love, of love for this country because of its potential to do human beings like you so much good and to give people so much opportunity and freedom uh, to serve him, to do his will. And so it was through Jesus Christ that I really fell in love with America. And then what does that mean? 
you've got to serve the people. I mean, I love the, 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 the Grand Canyon and, the, and Mount Rushmore and the Pacific and the Atlantic. But that's not, that's not what we love. That's not what God ultimately loves. What he loves is his people. And so God impressed upon me that I had to serve people and that, and this is very, very important, Virginia, that I had to serve all people, that I had to serve people across all racial and cultural lines, that while others will try to put you in a box, God made clear to me, you are my servant for my people and all people. And don't you ever make any distinction between people based on the complexion of their skin. And so my organization, STAN, is committed to, to bringing Americans together across racial and cultural lines to uphold our Judeo-Christian values. My church is a, a, a multiracial church. People from all backgrounds attend my church because that's, that's how God impressed me, that that's, that's what the kingdom of God is supposed to be, Virginia. Every nation, every tongue, every people. And, uh, and so all the things that I do, of course, I do certain specific things for for groups of people like our school is really intended to rescue children and it will serve any child as predominantly black children in our school right now, but rescue them from a public school system that is really teaching them to live in rebellion against God and teaching them all kinds of, of, of sick, perverse stuff that they should not be learning. I certainly shouldn't be learning in school and what they learn about these things, their parents should be the ones teaching them. So our school does that. Our Martin Luther King breakfast, for example, brings people together across racial and cultural lines. We don't care what the color of your skin is. We don't say, oh, well, it's the Martin Luther King breakfast. We only honor black people. No, we honor any member of the community who is doing worthwhile things. Gender doesn't matter. Race doesn't matter. All that matters is your leadership, your compassion, your decency toward others. Uh, and so we honor our law enforcement officers. We honor our first responders every year. We pick out a law enforcement officer, a firefighter, a sheriff, a first responder to honor. And so all of these things grow out of those two fundamental truths that God impressed upon me, which is this, this nation is my gift to you. And really what I, I, I understood that God wasn't meaning to just only me personally. He meant to you as Americans, to you as Christians, to you, my people who are here, I've given you this as a gift. Now, what are you going to do with it? And so I've set about to do everything I can to see to it that America is a nation whose God is the Lord. You also started to do something else for kids that were affected by gun violence. Would you please share that with us? Oh, I'll tell you. Virginia, we are up to, I think, 217 innocent children murdered in the inner cities of our country since 2020. And here again, the most recent one was in her living room when a bullet passed through the wall and killed her dead. Uh, these children are playing in their yards. They're sleeping in their beds, Virginia, when they're shot dead by bullets flying through their walls. And so we started something called Awakening Hearts and Minds and the Gallery of Forgotten Children to remind Americans that there is a tragedy going on in our country and it's not police killing people. It is, it is criminals being uh, put in a revolving door situation where they commit horrible crimes and then they go out and they commit those crimes all over again. Every person who shot some innocent child had already committed a violent crime. And instead of being in prison, 
being away from the community is out hurting other people and innocent children are caught in the crossfire. So we are trying to raise awareness of this and trying to help parents of these murdered children because we found that Black Lives Matter doesn't care about them because if it's not a police incident, they're not interested. And so these parents are left often, they're poor, they can't afford the funeral expenses for their child. Uh, They've got all kinds of issues that come after the child has been dead and buried in the ground. And we're coming along trying to help those parents, uh, offering uh, a reward to, for, to, to, to help find the perpetrators of these murders and, do, and, and trying to bring police and communities together to talk about how they can work together to prevent these kinds of horrible crimes from taking place. So that's Awakening Hearts and Minds, yes. And people can find out more about that on our website, standamerica.us. That's exactly what I had in mind to ask you where the um, people can can find you and uh, be part of. If you are, you are in Virginia, you, you might be able to volunteer. If not, you might be able yes. to donate. Uh, this is just... Can I, can I mention, Virginia, if I may, I want you to mention one other thing. I have an app and it's you can get it in the Google Store or the Apple Store. And all you have to do is type in E space W space Jackson and the app will come up, and that'll connect you to pretty much everything I'm doing, everything we're talking about. Wow, that is so wonderful, because I want people to make sure that they will be able to connect with you. And I know and I understand that this is just the beginning. We're going to have you uh, to continue, because you have so many other areas, but I want at least people to know a little bit about my audience about what you are doing and how they can relate to you. So thank you so much again for uh, coming to our podcast. For sure, we're going to have you again. So um, um, I just want to thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. If you want to know more about Virginia Prodan, her coaching program, buy her book, Saving My Assassin, or invite Virginia to speak at your events, visit virginiaprodanbooks.com.